Can you trust an experience that you're uncomfortable in? And if so, you've already identified yourself as somebody that should be a leader in the government. We truly will not change our system unless we create things that last longer than us. We don't do brain surgery, but we can make really big changes if we make the right decisions. Welcome to The Convergence, an Army Mad Scientist podcast. I'm Matt Sanisbert of the Combat Capabilities Development Command's Armament Center within the Army Futures Command, and I'll be joined in just a moment by Luke Shabro, Deputy Director of Mad Scientist. Mad Scientist is a U.S. Army initiative that continually explores the future of warfare, challenges assumptions, and collaborates with academia, industry, and government. You can connect with us through Twitter, at ArmyMadSci, or subscribe to the blog, The Mad Scientist Laboratory, at madsciblog.tradoc.army.mil. On today's episode, we'll be talking with Molly Kane. Molly is the founder of GovCity, the nation's first disruption and culture accelerator focused on government, civic, and culture change. Molly works at the intersection of technology and cultural disruption with broad-ranging expertise in industry, startups, and helping the federal government tap into innovation with greater ambition and more visibility. Molly will be talking with us today about leadership, barriers to youth and government service, and rewarding disruption. As always, the views expressed in this podcast do not necessarily reflect those of the Department of Defense, Department of the Army, Army Futures Command, or Training and Doctrine Command. Let's get started. So tell us a little bit about GovCity. What is it all about and, and for our listeners that don't know? Um, so short answer, I, uh, I tend to say it is a 48-hour cultural cohort or think tank for government disruptors. Other people have called it Innovators Anonymous, um, and that is, that's for the folks who have actually attended and understand kind of the, the feelings that you get only when you participate in it. What are some of the efforts that GovCity has been having in terms of trying to explore that space? So we launched last year, um, March of 2019. Really, our, our thesis, or my thesis last year was, will anybody show up? And that happened in March. Um, it turns out they actually will, and it's a really cool group of folks that will show up into a room at one of the world's craziest, most creative conferences, but they'll show up in a random room. Uh, thank you again to Capital Factory for giving me that space for free. Shout out to Army Futures. It was actually on their floor right when it opened. I think we were one of the first events there. But these folks... I gave them no list of who was coming with them, who they were walking into the room with, what they were doing, or any of the details. I just told them when to fly in and when they could expect to leave. And when you meet that kind of crew, it's really, it's a really cool group of people. So we did that in March, um, proved that yes, there's something there, but I have, if you've if anybody has spoken to me about it, I've, I've intentionally spent time not defining its purpose or its mission just yet and really making sure that I'm not adding to the noise on an unhelpful level and rather adding value. So each iteration of GovCity, our second one was in Boston in November, and that was similar but completely different in, <laughs> in the sense that it's the same process. It's a, it's, an, it's a very vague application with no info on the website. We do that on purpose, that uh, it draws the most creative or frustrated or ambitious government employees into, into our tribe. What's the dichotomy between allowing for this kind of self-formulation when the event occurs and getting outputs that you want? 
we we don't have an agenda, and the value there is we don't have an agenda that we publish. So that's the important part, and that's because I usually I know half the room, but there's a lot of names that I don't know, and so I don't know how you jump to conclusions. We all do. I don't know what your special superpower is on your conclusions, so I'd rather you not make any before you walk in. I have a theory on how you're going to get something out of the experience, but we really won't know until you're in the room. So our agenda is such where, and we did this last March as well, really, really well-vetted agenda and fireside talks, and we learned a lot about, we, we had too many talks last March. And then in November, we moved into a lot more of what you're talking about and forming groups, things like that. I selected each of the groups. We had seven teams out of seven people, and uh, seven or eight or nine people in that group, and they all met off-site before they even came to the to the event. So we isolated these groups in a sense where they could meet each other before they walked into this ambiguous experience, and that was part of the agenda. But I didn't need them to know that. So what we do want to do is, can you trust an experience that you're uncomfortable in? And if so, you've already identified yourself as somebody that should be a leader in the government, in my opinion. Through that event, which is you know very different from what people are used to, what did, what did you learn most out of that? If I had to really specifically say why I created GovCity, it is because of my time at Homeland Security, and I spent two years as director of venture for them, 2016 to 2018, and I founded GovCity immediately after I left. If I had had something like GovCity, I probably would have stayed longer, been able to accomplish more, and I certainly would have not felt alone. A lot of the power from being in a room of people who are willing to enter in that very uncomfortable trusting way and find the similarities amongst each other. We've had people from DOD, obviously. We, it's largely DOD, and I, and I can attribute that to the speed of innovation conversation happening at DOD right now. A lot of DOD, we've, we've had Census Bureau, we've had Treasury, we've had IRS, we've had lots of Homeland Security, we've had NASA, Space Force, all these folks. Air Force specifically has poured into it, obviously, but everybody finds similarities. And as much as we say it and we know it, that we all feel the same way, once you're sitting there across the table and you truly feel like this is a safe space and I can have these conversations, then you immediately go into more of a problem-solving mode. So that's been the really neat thing to see. And the conversations that continue afterwards are really powerful. That's such an interesting approach to it, too. And so speaking of interesting approach, so you mentioned that you, you worked at DHS before GovCity. Uh, I want to understand better how you came to GovCity. What was your background um, before that? Because so many in the de defense innovation space um, are former military. And so that can be a strength, but there's also an inherent bias um, or an inherent uh, mindset that takes place having been former military. So can you tell our audience a little bit about your background? Yeah, so the majority of my back, I came uh, the opposite direction as all the folks that you're talking about. Um, I stumbled into government work during a two-hour breakfast in Austin, Texas with the CIO, CTO, 
chief procurement officer and a few other folks from Homeland Security. And they had Googled top accelerators in Texas, and they were on a delegation tour in 2016 to understand what's the layout of Texas, innovation ecosystem, accelerators, startup space. So I do have to give that crew credit. They were already dancing around Austin in 2016, which is really fun to see the energy there happening right now. I had never met that many feds, and there were only eight of them. I had never met that many feds in my life. I had actually never been to D.C. in my life at that point. My new employee orientation for Homeland Security was the first time I ever stepped foot in Washington, D.C., and I fell in love immediately. But I also understood the value. Um, We can go back a little bit further. At the time, I was executive director of a startup accelerator. We were number seven in the nation. We're based out of Dallas. We had over 100 companies in our portfolio, and we specialized in business-to-business startups. And so that was interesting that the government was reaching out to us and asking, hey, how do you conduct due diligence on companies? How do you connect these startups with mentors and resources and helpful things? And are you working with any startups that we would find valuable? And that was the first day that I realized, absolutely, there's so much similarities in the needs. Um, and then as I have progressed into the government space, I've, I've watched government folks changing their minds about how similar they really are to the outside world. I think that has been one of the greatest values of this innovation rush is realizing government offices are not that different. Everybody needs great tools for PTO logging or resource purchasing or, I mean, anything basic. Um, And then any kind of startup, you have to conduct some kind of due diligence. So there is a general similarity across the board. So once that connection was made, I, I loved jumping into the challenge. Going back from the accelerator, I came from corporate communications, publicity, and have over a decade of strategic communications experience. And I uh, was very corporate, but under information security, banking, telecom, I, I learned early on in my career that when you can communicate well and when you can make cross-indexing your superpower, it doesn't really matter what industry you're working in. It just matters what you're curious about, and then you can be a value add. In that same vein, then, and given especially the experience that you have, what can the DOD do to be a better partner with industry, and how, how do we help the private sector help us? So I love that question. Um, I think number one is knowing that you need to be asking that question. Is, is really Self-awareness is very key. Um, one of the most frustrating things that I have watched as, like, over the past several years is a government entity or government leaders going down to Austin or Dallas or Raleigh or Phoenix or anywhere and then setting up shop and standing there and saying, we're open for business. Let us tell you all about us. Instead of sitting there and saying, hey, tell me about your ecosystem. Tell me about who you are. Tell me about what you're working on. Why should we care? How, how can we make something together? There are government leaders that do that, and I love working for them. And I conduct innovation tours because theater is important at a certain stage in the process. Um, But then when it's theater at the important point of true connection, it's dangerous. That's the vanity metric that we all 
you know, we all are vocal about the theater and how ridiculous it can be, but I think that when an agency drops into a community and starts talking at them, you have failed. If you're a small business owner and you want to work with DOD, what pass do you recommend? What do you, what's the approach you would recommend to those small business owners? I think the most powerful way to plug in is to just listen to the noise, like put your ear to the ground. It is very easy right now if you spend any time on LinkedIn. If you're walking around saying, I don't want to spend time on LinkedIn because it's old and nobody's on it, that's cool. Um, you are, you're not doing the right thing because government is crawling all over LinkedIn. Twitter is a great space if you can cut through the clutter and run into a really cool pack of people. There are endless ways to plug in and to learn and to just sit down with anybody, whether it's someone like me who straddles the line of outside and and inside or sitting down with a govy. They love conversations. Uh, There's nothing illegal about sitting down with someone who's leading innovation internally and asking them questions. It's just like what what we said when government goes into another region to sit down and listen that should happen as well if you have if you have the awareness to know you want to do business with the government then you need to understand this perfect customer that you're dreaming about i think one of the other groups of people that we haven't talked about are small businesses that have no idea that the government needs them and that is the person who's only going to run into it through all of these random conversations. And um, that's why I do love what's happening in Austin and in other regions, because people are accidentally stumbling onto the realization that the money is there, the need is there, the desire to work together is there. Um, they just may never have thought how simple it possibly could be. We're talking about the future, right? Uh, all these things today, <clears throat> they're not just today solutions, right? So we're building foundations for the future, and that's a lot of what we're trying to do with Army Futures Command. So if you were talking to young people that are in middle school, high school now, that are going to be that future, and you're talking to them about working in this innovation space, what advice would you give them? Why would they want to work in this field? First and foremost... I do have a couple of early college folks that I advise mentor. I send them every single internship opportunity I can find. If you are a govy and you have access to information about an internship, even if you aren't the one rolling out that internship, share it because somebody is listening. It's also... As much as we say it's easy to find a job if you're in the tech space, it really isn't, and it takes time. And so those those kids are out there. They're looking for something. If they're even remotely curious, they will throw their resume in, and they will try. So number one, I do share all the internship and fellowship opportunities, of which there are tons, which is really neat. And I think that's the first way that we get them to understand where they could be of value. They are experts on things that govies are not. Even if they're a freshman in college, they know a lot. And the, the key there is to find a team, and I'm speaking now to, the, to that workforce, find a team that will listen to you, hire the right bosses, always. Um, don't just hire the right topic because it really truly matters, that internal culture and that ecosystem, if they'll even let you touch anything or do anything. So hire the right bosses that will let you do that. And uh, that is that is truly how we'll, we'll change our workforce for the better in that sense. 
Um, I think it is important for govies to also understand it's really hard to get a job in the government. Most of us glaze over when you look at the requirements for an SES role or something. It's just all this mumbo-jumbo, gunk, political writing. So one of the great things that a government agency could do is put it in plain language and advertise it, even if you're doing it by yourself. The listing can still link to that ridiculous description, but if you put it on LinkedIn as a human, you will find some really cool champions. Okay, so we're talking about the future. It's 10 years from now, 2030. Molly Kane is probably Secretary of Commerce, but maybe still, maybe still CEO of, of Gov City. What do you want that future to look like from your perspective? Immediately, I know, um, and we are spending a lot of 2020 on this focus. Um, how can we impact a change in promotion internally across the board, not just DOD, but across the government? There are agencies and there are specifically fantastic leaders that promote well and intelligently, and then there are many more that promote because people have followed the rules and they've gone through all these check marks and they've played the game well, or they've just sat in their seat long enough to get promoted. And I can respect that, that that has always been the way to a certain degree, because we also see that when somebody hasn't had to make those true difficult leadership decisions, has not sat at a table, like we're sitting, nobody can see us, but we're sitting at a table of about 12 chairs. And the winner today in the government is the the person who will sit there and be quiet when there's something happening that they know in their gut should be different. And if they don't speak up, they have towed the line. And that's not appropriate to me. Um, I think, you know, and I experienced this personally last week, that good decisions are really hard. And I would love to help influence the future leaders in the government to understand that, you know, we don't do, we don't do brain surgery, but we can make really big changes if we make the right decisions. There's a book I recently read, uh, It's Your Ship, by uh, Commander uh, Abrashoff, I'm going to say that wrong. Um, but uh, he, he stated exactly what you said, which is, um, you show me somebody who doesn't get in trouble with their boss ever, and I'll show you somebody who didn't accomplish much. I, uh, I completely agree. And back to the hiring of the right bosses, if you hire the right person to be your leader, you will be able to make mistakes. You will get in trouble when you make a mistake or do something stupid. But if that relationship is still strong and the leader doesn't pluck you from the table because you embarrass them and you get to go at it again, you will be a great leader going forward. I I can attribute many of the hard but good decisions that I've made in my own career to the leaders who have allowed me to fail. And I talk about this all the time. You don't know that you're failing when you are failing. You only know when you get called into the office and you get yelled at that you have failed and (laughs) you've done something bad. And it depends on the leader that you have chosen to work for as to how that is going to impact your career. And if you crawl back in to your cubicle and you feel like, oh my God, I can never do that again. Um, that leader has failed you. So it's, it, it is really, really important to find the right team to work for. And as a leader, it's really important to not project the reputation that will be impacted when your team fails 
if you sit in a room and get embarrassed because your team did something and then you go back and shut them down, you have failed too. So I do hope to influence that leadership structure. I would also love to add an innovation element of some sort. I have I have a lot of ideas on exactly what that means. I know that sounds very ambiguous, but for an SES program of how to impl- implement um, some better decision-making based on unknowns and teaching these future top leaders how to, they don't have to have an infinite mindset, but they need to learn how to respect it. So we're going to transition to what we call our rapid fire questions, but um, really take as much time as you want. But these, these are questions we ask each of our guests. So first off, what technology or trend keeps you up at night? I've already kind of touched on it here. It's less about technology because I touch any kind of technology conversation that I find interesting or that the leaders that I'm taking on tours find interesting. I specialize in knowing a little about a lot. So I can have happy hour conversations on any kind of tech. But on trends, what is really interesting, it keeps me up at night, is the innovation rush Um, And what is happening right now in the government space, especially in DOD, there is an innovation off (laughs) of like competition of who can be the most innovative and who can say all the things and who's doing what. I, I love that to a degree because it's also influencing and I have had these conversations in other agencies. It's influencing other agencies to get off their chairs and do something about that because they see what's happening. So I love the flood of conversation. Um, I think the next stage for DOD is to identify, well, let's look back at the past two or three years and truly measure it, but as an ecosystem as a whole, not just sit there and say, oh, it's cool what AFWorks is doing. Let me invent something exactly like it, only for my group. And, and that is largely what's happening right now. And I get it. That's a common government thing. So I think the next stage of life for innovation is truly collaborating together and creating a sustainable ecosystem that can cross cross borders into other agencies. So that's of interest. And then it does keep me up at night. And I have mentioned the finite versus infinite. There are finite innovation efforts, and then there are infinite ones. Um, we truly will not change our system unless we create things that last longer than us. And that does keep me awake at night. That is what GovCity wants to influence and, and play a role in. What is one thing about you that most people might not know that you're willing to share on air? (laughs) (laughs) Um, A lot of things wouldn't surprise people. Like saying I'm a lefty uh, probably won't surprise anybody. Um, (laughs) I live my life in a very creative space. Um, I love meditating, floating. Um, I will do anything to drop everything and drive out to Marfa, Texas. (laughs) (laughs) and get out there and spend time outside. I think it it would surprise people that I spend a lot of time on on mindfulness and studying deep work and producing creative things, but in order to add value to the more complicated things. Finally, our most important question that we always ask, what is your favorite movie? There are a lot of people that are going to think I'm lying about this, but it is not. It, it, this is 100% true. I have watched the Warren Buffett documentary eight times. 
<laughs> so I love that. And then if I'm going to add something less serious, uh, you can always you can always get me to watch Night at the Roxbury. <laughs> <laughs> that's a first yes. for us. Um, that's yes, that's a ridiculous shout out to my childhood that if I catch it on TV, I will watch it. But Warren Buffett is... So he's different than I am, but he's so interesting and his way. And I love, I love his awareness of so many things, especially in the the partner he chose and the choices he makes on a sustainable, lasting level is fascinating to me. Molly, this has been such a great conversation. Is there anything else you'd like to tell our audience? Go to govcity.com. Don't expect a lot of information, and that's on purpose. Um, Apply to one of our upcoming cohorts. We, of course, have been disrupted by the coronavirus, as everyone has. Later this year, we do anticipate following through on our plans to go to Chicago and Colorado Springs this year. So one of the two cohorts, or both, we would love to see you. All right. Well, thank you so much for joining us. Thank you for having me. Thanks for listening to The Convergence. I'd like to thank our guest, Molly Kane of GovCity. You can connect with Mad Scientist through Twitter, at ArmyMadSci. And don't forget to subscribe to our blog, The Mad Scientist Laboratory, at madsciblog.tradoc.army.mil.